All right, if you have your Bibles, let's open the Word of God this morning to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 7. First Samuel chapter 7. And then when you found your place there, you'll hold your place and then turn back a page or two to 1 Samuel chapter 4. We're going to look at a couple of verses and make a comparison, and then we'll launch into the message. All right, so when you found your place, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> We'll have prayer and then we'll begin. All right, let's pray together. Father, how we love you today, how we thank you, Lord, for your precious word. And as we come to this portion of our service together and our time of fellowship, Lord, we do, we want to exalt you. We want to worship you. We want to bow our heads and our hearts. Lord, we just want to confess our unworthiness, but we want to proclaim your worthiness. We lift you up this morning. Lord, we just ask you to work in our hearts. Speak to us, Lord, through your word today. Show us what you'd have us to do. Show us how we can be a part of of your plan and what you're doing in this world, in our church, in our community, in our lives. Lord, we just ask you, Lord, to have your will and way in in this service. Be our teacher and guide through the scriptures. Show us what you'd have us do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 4. Let's read that one first. And if you'll find verse 21, notice the Bible says in 1 Samuel 4, 21, And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel, because the ark of God was taken, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. Now, if you would turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 7 and look with me, if you will, at verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. I want to preach a message today I've entitled From Ichabod to Ebenezer. From Ichabod to Ebenezer. Thank you so much. You may be seated. What a message. Ichabod to Ebenezer. This is a journey that we all want to take. No one wants to land on Ichabod and stay there. No one one with any spiritual understanding, that is. But anyone who's ever been near Ichabod would certainly like to make the trip from Ichabod to Ebenezer. And so I want us to see, I want us to take a, a, a snapshot, a sneak peek, if you will. Let's look into the life of Israel and see what God is doing during this time period. And let's learn today how they made the journey from Ichabod to Ebenezer. Would you look at verse 1 with me? And let's, let's go back and get some context in the story. The Bible says in verse 1, And the men of Kerjeth jearim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord, and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill, and sanctified Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass, while the ark abode in Kerjath-Jerim, 
that the time was long, for it was 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods of Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth, and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah, and drew water, and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And Samuel was offering up the burnt offering. The Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them, and they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them till they came under Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen, and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Oh, what a great story. Isn't it wonderful to see God coming to their aid? But you know, that's not how it was always. The reason why this Ebenezer stone, this, this place of Ebenezer, signifying to them the help of God and the restoration of the presence and power of God to Israel. This was a big deal. This was like revival had come to the land. It's because they were coming from the place of Ichabod. You see, shortly before this, Israel, I say shortly before this, this was years in the making, Israel had come to a place of spiritual despondency. They'd gotten to a place that we would call backslidden, away from the Lord, cold-hearted toward the things of God, and, and they didn't even realize the condition that they were in. The days came when the, when the title, the term Ichabod, was pronounced over Israel. This happened uh, at a time when Israel lost and was defeated in battle to her enemies, the Philistines. They captured the Ark of God, which which signified the very presence of God Himself. What a symbolism that reflected the, the true spiritual condition of Israel at that time. That they had lost the presence and power of God. And wouldn't it have to be so for the enemy to come in and capture the ark and take it away? And so Ichabod was pronounced. That term Ichabod reflecting their godless 
position. The glory is departed, they said, and rightly so. You know, anyone can be found in that state that we refer to as Ichabod, away from God. That word has had a stigmatism down through the ages ever since this day. Nobody likes the term Ichabod and nobody wants to wear that label or that lapel on their chest. No one wants to be in that condition so far away from God that Ichabod is pronounced over them. But here Israel was found in that very condition. Israel uh, was the one who, in fact, created this, this term and this condition. For truly, in Israel, the glory of God had departed for a time. You know, I believe Ichabod is one of the places of the Christian's journey. It just seems like we all on our journey to know the Lord through the years of our life following Jesus, it just seems like all of us, at some point or another, we stop at this place called Ichabod. We too, like Peter, find ourselves warming our hands at the enemy's fire, denying that we know the Lord, disassociating with Him for whatever reason. This happened in Israel. It's part of their history. It's a sad state. It's a sorrowful condition to be away from God. To think being deceived that somehow it's better not to be acquainted with Him. How foolish. Everyone who's ever made it past Ichabod understands how how foolish and how ridiculous that kind of thinking is. But because of fear, intimidation, because of apathy and unconcern, because of comfort and many other reasons, we, we, we often slip into that state, don't we? We go to the place, Ichabod. My dear friend, I hope you don't find it too comfortable there. Israel certainly did not. And the day came when they were ready to move past Ichabod, the glory was departed from God's people. And you could say the glory is departed when God's people go powerless. That certainly is exactly what happens when you find yourself at Ichabod. You you don't realize it at first. It's kind of like Samson, you know, when he was being captured by the Philistines, and he was in the lap of Delilah. They rush into the room, and the Bible says he, he got up to, 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 you know, stand against them, just like at other times, but the Bible says he, he wist not that the Lord had departed from him. You know, sometimes we, we don't realize in the moment that we've kind of slid away from God. We've kind of gotten away from His presence, from His power, How do do God's people go powerless? Well, sin makes God's people powerless. And Samson was flirting with sin all through those days. He finally went too far and he crossed the line. Sometimes that happens to us because it just seems like as believers in Christ, sometimes we are a little naive about how sin works. We're a little naive about the ways of the world 
And just like Samson, we, we go a little too far. And God says that's enough. Apathy can cause God's people to go powerless. Doubt. Oh, my, my, we could make a list, couldn't we? My, how we need to beware that you and I don't allow these conditions to make us powerless also. To pull us away from the very presence of God, the one we love and adore, who's forgiven us of our sins, who died in our place, the ones, like Paul said, who, who Christ, who is our life. When we get away from that truth, then we're prone also to visit this place called Ichabod. Ichabod meaning the glory is departed. And the glory is departed when God's people set their heart on the things of God instead of on God Himself. You know, Israel had gotten to that place in their life where they, where they worshipped their, their religion instead of the one who brought them into a relationship. And you know, sometimes church and the things of, at church and, 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 and the things of God can become more important to us than God Himself. It's a dangerous place to be. You see, Israel had gotten to that place, and we know it because when they went to battle, they didn't cry out to the Lord, uh, they didn't intercede, and they didn't implore the presence of God. They didn't ask for forgiveness of sins. You know what they said? Bring up the ark of God, that it may deliver us from the hand of the enemy. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. Going to church is a great thing. But if you ever lose sight of the one that you're here for, this can become a powerless monotony right here. There are people who backslide on the pews of regular church attendance because they've forgotten why they came. Hey, that, let, let's not let that happen to us. The glory, of, the glory is departed when God's people set their heart on the things of God instead of on God Himself. You know, religious things are meaningless. They're hollow without a vibrant relationship with the God of those things. And I use church attendance as an example, but we could say the same thing about reading your Bible. You can read your Bible and check off a little box. But you know, if you're not meeting the Lord in that Bible reading, if you're not reflecting and letting God speak to you, if there's not a vibrant exchange going on during that Bible reading time, you might as well be reading the newspaper. Isn't that right? The same thing could be said about prayer. Oh, listen, we can get in our prayer closet and we can give God what for so more. But if we're not meeting him there, and if we're not having a, a wonderful fellowship and talk with him and letting him talk to us, then, you know, it can, it can all end up being just, as Paul told Timothy, it can all end up being just a powerless form, a hollow religious experience. But the glory is departed. And that's where Israel was. The glory had departed. And the glory is departed also when the heathen use better judgment about spiritual things than God's people do. 
It's interesting in 1 Samuel chapter 4, when the Philistines came and overtook Israel and they, they took the ark of God. Uh, you know, it's, isn't it interesting that they treated it with more respect than Israel was at that time? And it, it, it ought to shame us when the world uses more judgment, more discernment. When the world looks with more respect at values and life and the things of God than we do. Israel, instead of making an offering for sin and seeking God's face, they trusted that the box, the ark itself, would help them. Oh my. Sometimes the world uses better judgment than we do. Better judgment about Christian living. And while we're trying to pray and decide God's will and wondering if this is right or wrong, you go ask a lost person, hey, should a Christian be doing this? And see what they say. You know, often they don't even have to pray about it. Man, they just know. Wow. Better judgment about organization, business, and development. Sometimes it's a shame. The processes we create that just seems to delay progress. It just can be embarrassing. Better judgment. You know, for, for the lost to use better judgment about uh, 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 in, in things than we do, than God's people, uh, in, in any matter, isn't it? Isn't that, isn't that a shame? That's the glory being departed, in a sense. So we find all this going on in Israel's past. They definitely had been at the place of Ichabod. The ark of God had been taken. The glory was departed from Israel. They lost their high priest and they became subject to the Philistines because they were overtaken in battle. So now they're living in oppression. And the Bible says they lived this way for years. When we come to 1 Samuel 7, it says they were in this state of lamentation. Did you catch that in verse 2? For 20 years, two decades go by, and they're lamenting. Their sorrowful state, their condition of the glory being departed, God's presence being cast away. How sad. But sometimes God uses the sad news to bring the good news. And God did work in Israel just as He works in our lives. When we're away from the Lord, God is constantly calling us back. God is constantly nudging us forward. God wants us to return to Him. So He allows things to happen in our life to let us see that we need Him and we need to restore that fellowship that has long since been broken. So here's Israel lamenting in verse 2. Here they are in remorse and regret. So Samuel comes and says, well, hey, he sees their lamentation. And he says, if you do return unto the Lord with all your heart. Okay, you want to get right with God again? You want to get back in fellowship with God again? He says, here's what you got to do. 
Samuel begins to walk them through the process of getting back into fellowship with God. And we find Israel going from Ichabod to Ebenezer. What a beautiful journey. And you know, this journey through the chapter of chapter 7 seems instantaneous. And I want you to know that it can be. The journey back to the Lord doesn't, doesn't always have to be as long as the one away. But there are some things you have to do. This journey cannot be made. The journey from Ichabod to Ebenezer cannot take place without certain things being done. And that's what Samuel comes on the scene to share. He says to them, first of all, there's, there's some preparation that we have to do. And I want you to understand that if you're going to go from Ichabod in your life to Ebenezer, where the help of God is, you're going to have to make some preparation for that journey also. Notice Samuel says in verse 3, if, you're going to, if you want God back, if you're going to turn to the Lord with all your heart, by the way, if you're not doing it with all your heart, there ain't no point in doing it. But he says, if you're going to do it with all your heart, then, he said, put away those false gods. Samuel is in the Old Testament, but he's teaching us some very New Testament principles. We call them first things. For example, in Matthew 6, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? And His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. God is to come first in the life of a believer. And so Samuel is reiterating this principle to Israel. In the Old Testament, you'll find this principle buried in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Because God taught Israel as His people that the Lord, they were to love the Lord God and they were to have Him first in, in their lives. Right? So here we, here we are being called back to the first things. Samuel says, if you want to seek the Lord, if you want to return to Him first... You have to put away these gods. He was, he was talking about turning to the Lord with all your heart. We call that repentance. Preparation of the heart must include repentance. There must be a reckoning with ourselves, realizing, you know, I was wrong. I don't know why, but some people have more of a hard time than others saying those words. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. It seems like there are some people who never say those words. But I'm here to tell you, you cannot go from Ichabod to Ebenezer without getting along with God and saying that. Lord, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And if you will, I'll tell you, he'll meet you there. So Samuel came with that message. If you're ready to return to the Lord with all your heart. Now, can I say this morning, there are some who are way too quick to say those words. They say those words, I'm sorry, I was wrong, whatever. And it's like there's no consideration given to what they really mean. I think we need to beware on both ends of that spectrum. Because if you're going to say you're sorry, if you're going to say you were wrong, you need to really mean that. You need to understand what you're saying. I've got friends in the ministry, for example, who, who use the expression, I love you, way too casually. 
I think, I think Christians ought to love believers. You know, loving each other is one of the earmarks of the faith. Jesus said, hereby shall all men know you're my disciples if you have love one to another. But I've noticed that those who just so casually, so freely throw that expression around, I love you, 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 they don't always. Instead of love being a broad thing, and it should be, um, first, it must be a deep thing. And you know, we need to make sure we understand, especially when we're coming to terms with God, we need to make sure we understand what we're saying. Then Samuel said, put away the strange gods from among you. You know, there are some things you have to set right. If you're going to get right, you've got to be right. And so Samuel said, we're going to have to do something. It's not just, I'm sorry. But if you mean I'm sorry, then there's going to be action behind those words. Because whatever you were wrong in, now you have to make right. And that's what Israel is now facing the opportunity. Get rid of these false gods. And they do. I'm glad they did. Samuel said, and serve him only. God doesn't be, he doesn't want to be one of your one of God doesn't want to be one among many. He wants to be your one and only. And if you're not willing to make God your one and only, then there's a, there's a level of fellowship you'll, you'll never understand. There's a level of discipleship you'll never reach. Samuel said, and serve him only, in verse 3. But not only is there preparation for this, there's, there's got to be purpose. And in the heart of Israel, there was a purpose. They understood some things that they had gotten away from God. Notice in verse 4, it says, Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and served the Lord only. They did put them away. They were like Daniel when it says Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. And so therefore, the Bible says he made a request. So often... You and I have the thought, we have the feeling, we have the purpose of heart, but we fall short and we don't follow through and make the request. We don't take the stand. We don't put away. And I'm here to tell you, you can't make the journey from Ichabod to Ebenezer without purpose, without being willing to have that follow through. It's not enough just to remorse in your heart to get away from God, but, but you've got to ready yourself to get back. And the way back is intentional. Notice Samuel was very specific. If you want to get right with God, if you want to restore the relationship, you have to get rid of these other gods and serve Him only. Notice what the Bible says in verse 6. At the last part of the verse, It says, and Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. Isn't it funny that we're in Ichabod, we want to go to Ebenezer. Oh, but we don't want to stop in Mizpah. Mizpah was the place of judgment. It was the place of setting things right. It was the place of restoration. It became that because they participated. They had a purpose They followed through. 
They didn't just have warm, fuzzy feelings in their heart. They made up their mind, we want to restore, we want to get right with God. We want things to be back like they ought to be once again. The Bible teaches us this same principle in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31. If you remember, that chapter deals with the Lord's Supper. And it teaches us that as we come to the Lord's table and we're reflecting on the Lord Jesus Christ, His broken body, His shed blood, what He did for us. And by the way, He, he, he suffered those things because of our sins. And so coming to the Lord's table is a time of reflection. We, we think back of what Jesus did for us, but it's also a time of recognition where we have to look again into our own life and decide and make sure, are we right with God as we should be? Are there things in our life that shouldn't be there? And some wrongly think that if I am in that condition, then I push away from the Lord's table and I don't take the supper because... Paul said, many are weak and sickly among you, and there are some that sleep. But among all of that, Paul taught in that verse, verse 31, he said these words. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. And the whole point of that portion of the Lord's Supper, the reflection and the recognition It's not so that we can recognize our flaws and push away from the table. The whole point of that is so that we can recognize and repent at the table. Because when we do that, then we are fulfilling what Paul said. We are judging ourselves. It's a constant state of keeping ourselves in check. Making sure that we are doing the things we know to do. Paul said, we're to judge ourselves. Israel was being judged in Mizpah by the prophet Samuel. But Samuel wasn't telling them to do anything they had never heard before. He was being a spiritual mentor. He was reminding them of things they already knew. But he was having to judge them because they did not judge themselves. Isn't that so true of us? we often find ourselves in the same position. And God uses others to point the way. And thank God He does. So we can make the journey from Ichabod to Ebenezer. If you're going to make that journey, there's preparation, there's purpose. But notice in this passage, there's also prayer. We have to involve God in the transition, in the reconciliation We have to reconnect with Him. We do that through prayer. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 7, look at verse 5 and 6. And Samuel said, Gather all of Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah, and drew water, and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. Man, I like that because I see there, here's Samuel praying for them. They're also praying and they're admitting. We begin to see our next point. That this journey requires participation. Notice Samuel said, I'll pray for you. He didn't didn't, didn't say, I can restore you 
to fellowship with God again. Hey, you know, only you can do that. Actually, only God can do that, but he's not going to do that unless you come to Mizpah, unless you come to reconnect with him. And so here, Samuel invites them to come. He says, I'm going to pray for you, but thank God, when they get there, they begin to participate. They begin to pray themselves. They recognize we've sinned against the Lord on their own initiative. They poured out the water and they began the fast. Hey, don't forget the fasting. Don't forget the sacrifice that takes place at Mizpah. You know, it does cost something to follow the Lord. Do you remember when the, the peril was going through the land, the, the plague, the angel was, was, was slaughtering folks as a punishment uh, in the life of David? And you remember when David went down to buy the threshing floor and Onan said, hey, you can have it. If that'll stop, uh, you know, the, the plague from Israel, then, then here, give it to God. And David said, oh no. He said, I'm going to buy it from you. He said, because I'm not going to offer something to God that didn't cost me something. Wow. Have you ever thought about that? I wonder how many times we try to give God cheap service. David said, oh no, I'm not going to be doing that. He understood there's a cost to following the Lord. David was willing to step up and pay that price in order to be what God wanted him to be. You know, if you want to go deeper, if you want to go farther with God, if you, if you want to experience that next level of faith in Christianity, then, then you've got to be willing to pay the price. There is a sacrifice that's involved. Notice in verse 8 and 9, the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry to the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel. And the Lord heard him. Hey, there's a reason why God heard. Not just because it was Samuel. Sometimes we're guilty of that, of that Hollywood star mentality. We want to go grab somebody in the faith that we think's got some kind of special magic connection with God. And we want to say, hey, pray for me. You missed it. I remember when, I think it was Curtis Hudson. Curtis Hudson was uh, battling cancer and he was soon to be with the Lord. And I remember somebody coming to ask him, hey, when you get to heaven and you meet Jesus, this person said, would you say a prayer for me? Would you talk to the Lord about this for me, about this request? And Brother Hudson thought for a minute and he said, no, I won't. Well, the person was aghast. What do you mean? You, you won't pray for me? And Curtis Hudson said, no, I won't. He said, because if I agree to do that, then you're making me your mediator. And he said, I'm not the mediator. He said, I'm a brother in Christ. And he said, look, you have the same access to your heavenly father right now where we stand that I'm going to have when I meet Jesus. Why do I need to do that? 
when the right person to do it is you. Wow, what a powerful truth. But see, that whole situation illustrates that sometimes, sometimes, we want to get the Ebenezer, but we don't want to make the sacrifice. We don't want to go to Mizpah. But you have to go through Mizpah to get to Ebenezer. Because that is where the reconciliation came. When they got there, we saw they participated... And that's the last point in our recipe. There's, particip- there's preparation, purpose, prayer, and now participation. <clears throat> and this is important because we have to understand that there is no one, there is no one who can reconcile ourselves to God for us. Samuel was one of the greatest prophets Israel ever had. But he understood he couldn't do it for him. Your pastor can't do it for you. Your parents can't do it for you. Isn't that powerful? We raise our kids, we teach them what's right, we shelter them from the world and from sin and all of that. We try to help them make wise decisions, wise choices. We, we guard them against the wrong things and influences. Hey, but guess what? There comes a time in every kid's life when they have to choose. When they have to make the choice. When they have to set the direction and, and, and chart the course. We can't live their whole life for them. There has to be participation. Where you carry on for yourself. All through this chapter we see the participation of Israel... And why do we see it? Because they were in lamentation. Because their hearts were sore. They knew they were away from God. They knew that's not how it should be. And they longed for restoration. And if that's where you are, then I want you to know, you can get back there. You can go from Ichabod to Ebenezer. But there's got to be some participation. No one can do it for you. In verse 2, the Bible talks about how all the house of Israel lamented In in verse 3, it makes another reference to all the house of Israel. Everyone was involved. Verse 4, it says the children of Israel did what what Samuel requested. Verse 5 says all Israel. Verse 6 says the children of Israel. The word of God is referring to them as one unit in verses um, 6, 7, and 8. We find the children of Israel were gathered We find the children of Israel in verse 8, they said, here they are speaking, they're recognizing. In verse 9, it refers to Israel again as one unit. Verse 10, and then in verse 11, it talks about the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines. That's a reference to leadership. And you know what? You, You follow for a time, but then there's a time when you have to step up and lead your own life. You have to make the right choices. You've got to do the right things. There has to be participation. No one can do it for you. Repentance is a personal matter. Prayer is a personal matter. Faith is a personal matter. People can't have that for you. You have to determine to have it for yourself. But if you will, 
Oh, listen, if you will, then God is waiting to help you. God is waiting at Mizpah. He's waiting on the other side of your request. He's waiting on the other side of your faith. God's waiting on the other side of your effort. God is right there, ready to help you. Oh, I, get, I guess Brother James probably went from Ichabod to Ebenezer at some point in his life. Because even in the New Testament, Brother James said, if you draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. He understood this road back. He understood how to get from Ichabod to Ebenezer, that it included the effort to get back with God, to make the restoration. And he saw that God also makes the effort to meet you halfway. Oh, listen. If you're ready to make the journey from Ichabod to Ebenezer, I want you to know God is more ready than you are. Look at verse 12. The Bible says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of the of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Hey, guess what? He's back. Verse 13, So the Philistines were subdued, and they came no more into the coast of Israel, and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron even unto Gath. And the coast thereof did Israel deliver out of the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went from year to year in circuit to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah. And judged Israel in all those places. All those places represent something spiritual. But notice that he went there year to year in circuit. In other words, guess what? It's good to get right with God, but guess what? You have to work hard at staying right. Once you get back, you can't just kick it in neutral and coast after that. Samuel's making circuits every year. Samuel, he's, he's still encouraging folks to seek the Lord and find Him there. And the Bible says in verse 17, And his return was to Ramah, for there was his house. And there he judged Israel. Watch this. And there he built an altar unto the Lord. Hey, you know everybody's got to have a place to meet the Lord. And when you make the journey from Ichabod to Ebenezer, you want to keep the meeting with God fresh. And the only way to do that is for you to have a place to meet the Lord somewhere near your house. It's personal. Remember, it's not just a religion, it's a relationship. And we want to stay in touch with Jesus. That's why people used to like that old song, keep in touch with Jesus, he'll keep you sweet. Right? A lot of truth in that little chorus. Because life has a way of distracting us and getting our attention on other things. And when that happens, we need to refocus. We need to come back. And we need to restore our attention to the Lord and serve Him only and put Him first. And meet Him at that altar. Hey, I'll tell you what, He'll meet you there. 
If you come with your whole heart, he'll meet you there every time. Aren't you glad? I'm glad they went from Ichabod to Ebenezer, and you can too. Let's pray together. Father, how we love you today, how we thank you for your goodness to us, how we thank you for your love and mercy, Lord, your special grace. Lord, in your love and kindness that you're always willing to take us back. Lord, we are so unworthy. We've failed time and again. But in the midst of our humanity, our weakness, our failure, Lord, when we realize it and shake ourselves, when we're ready to get right and we come back to you, Lord, thank God that you always are willing to take us back. So, Lord, I just pray today, not that we would spend any unnecessary time at Ichabod, but that we would quickly make tracks Find our way through Mizpah, Lord, that we might get to the place of Ebenezer. The help and presence of God once again. Lord, would you meet us there? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together with our heads bowed, our eyes are closed. We're just going to have a moment of reflection and and, uh, ask the Lord to guide us this morning. I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. If God spoke to your heart, would you slip out and meet him here at this altar? If there's, a, if there's a place along the way, maybe you need to stop at Mizpah this morning. Maybe, maybe, you're, at, maybe you're in Ichabod and you're, you're just waking up to the reality. Now you know what to do. Whatever's on your heart this morning, you do business with God. Let the Lord have His way. Ask Him to help you. He certainly will.